You are listening to Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. I'm your host, Pat Ivey. And I'm your co-host, Mackenzie. And thanks for tuning in to another episode. Culture of accountability is when a lot of your athletes are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing how they're supposed to be doing it. Competence. Do your athletes know what they're supposed to be doing so that they can do what they're supposed to be doing? Are they committed? Will they see it from the start to the finish? Will they complete the task? Are they consistent? He's the Senior Director of Therapy Services and the Human Performance Institute for MU Healthcare. 25 years as a clinical specialist in orthopedics and sports medicine. Former clinical consultant for the Seattle Seahawks. Former physical therapist for Mizzou Athletics. Also the previous director for corrective biomechanics. Welcome to the show, short and sweet, Brett Hayes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dr. Ivy. Yeah, short and sweet's like that because uh, I... Uh, I just don't have the pedigree with some of your guests, man, but I, I make up for it by working real hard and uh, supporting the cause, if it would be. Well, I'm not buying that, but anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, you got you to gotta reach, you know, a certain kind of level for, for us to invite you on the podcast. So we yeah, think that you're there. I appreciate that, Mac. You know, I'm humbled by that one. Uh, you know, I, I uh, you know, I think what we did was pretty groundbreaking, to be honest with you guys. And um, I think uh, it does say something for where we took this whole thing on bringing um, the therapeutic technique and science into um, athletic performance and, and strength conditioning. I, I think maybe we did earn this. Maybe we did. I'll take it. Brett, before we get started, get too deep, tell our guests just a little bit about yourself because you're also a guest contributor on uh, Pat Ivy performance and on our website. Well, yeah, you know, I, um, you know, just uh, jumping off the, the cuff here, um, I've uh, been in the game a long time, um, literally uh, and, and figuratively. Um, I got into physical therapy at a very young age. Gosh, I think it was uh, eighth grade. I knew I wanted to be a physical therapist. That's before it was even hot, you know, and that's saying something. So that was a lot of years back. And um, I knew I wanted to specialize in orthopedics and sports medicine, but I didn't know what that meant. So at the time, I was more focused on just the sports part of it. You know, I um, worked my way through high school, I managed to, to play football well enough to, to get in the Division three game. I played for Pacific University out in Forest Grove, Oregon. Um, that's where, you know, you play football because you love the game because, man, we didn't we didn't have the sexy stuff Division one has. Um, heck, I can even remember riding on the on the on the team bus. You know, it didn't have a speedometer on it. Our driver looked like Charles Manson. And uh, I had, you know, like rust stains on my arm falling asleep on the window. So it was pretty real football. <laughs> I like to call it out there. Those were those were the days. Um, but I followed through. Uh, I went right straight through um, graduate school. And um, I always knew my dream was to stay close to the game. Um, how to do it, I always thought was just uh, going into to professional sports. You know, I wanted to be up there and and um, taking care of those athletes at that level. And for many years, I was able to get there. I, uh, I guess about four years into the game, I moved to the Seattle area where I spent a lot of time mostly in clinical practice. But our practice was the clinical consultant team for the Seattle Seahawks. We had a lot of players that we got to see not only um, for the rehabilitation, but for continuance of their rehab afterwards, which 
really is what came, became corrective bi- biomechanics, as I'm sure we'll talk about um, today, because the athletes, even when they were cleared to go back to playing, they didn't want to just stay out of the out of the clinic. They liked how we kept them conditioned. We liked how we kept their um, body mechanics and their um, biomechanics um, very loose and, and fluid, and that kept them in the game better and performing better. And so that moved us to that level. Although uh, I got to admit, um, you know, I love the sports and I love everything we've done, but um, I learned one thing out in Seattle is I, I jumped um, I jumped out of the healthcare business and moved into the entertainment business. Um, so there's a little bit more stuff that goes on with that when you're in that game that I was like, you know what, I, I think I like the high school level a little bit better. So I thought my career was kind of taking its perfect path when I opened up my own practice um, out in Boise, Idaho, of all places. I decided I was getting too wet out there on the west side. So we got out in the irrigated desert, um, opened up my practice. It was called Gridiron Rehab and Athletic Medicine. So we had that facility out there and um, it was a hybrid. It was what we would call a rehab center with a athletic fitness um, focus. And it was really the first conception of of the um, idea of molding um, athletic performance and rehabilitation, at least as far as I was concerned back in the day. And um, dang it as it would be, a very close friend of mine happened to help me with the venture capital of that facility. Um, Decided to take a job here at Mizzou, at the Missouri Orthopedic Institute. And let's just say he got his hooks in me and the rest is history. Here I am uh, at Missouri and um, the rest of the say is the history that you and I created, uh, Pat and, and Mac, you too. I mean, heck, I, I seem like I always had to fix your shoulders every time you were doing those handstands walking across the dang <laughs> weight room. We're worried about you impinging something. So I had to look after you, crazy girl. I tell you what. I mean, if anybody needs a physical therapist in the room, it is strength coaches. <laughs> I will just say it hey. seemed like every strength coach that I've ever worked with was in need of a physical therapist right outside of their office. Oh yeah, I didn't. I, I mean, hey, I, my job was to work with the players. Uh-uh, I worked more with you guys <laughs> than I ever saw athletes. Half time, I had to tell the athlete, "And you got to wait." You know, Coach Ivy's pretty jacked up right now. I got to straighten out his <laughs> pelvis and get his spine moving. Hang on, he ain't gonna be able to coach you if I can't fix them so uh, that's the whole yeah, point that was exactly whole point. right that was the whole you know, point actually <laughs> i enjoyed that yeah I, I needed you to straighten me out so i can go ahead and mess it up again <laughs> that's right that's <laughs> that's why job security is great in this line of work you know you're always going to be busy and it, it was the case man I, too bad i had a day job being an administrator at the university hospital i'd rather stay down there in the weight room all day but hey such is life yeah Well, so speaking of kind of all of that administration, kind of the red tape that you, let's say, had to navigate, um, can you speak a little bit on the reason why you think it has taken so long and actually continues to take so long for a corrective biomechanics or really kind of a... um, you know, there's a little bit of a gap between when a guy gets hurt and he's cleared to play or a girl for that matter, but um, mm-hmm. gets hurt and is cleared to play versus is ready to go, you know, full go and is confident and comfortable again. So can you speak to maybe, like I said, some of the red tape or some of the the issues that present when trying to implement a program such as like a corrective biomechanics or, or things of that a- nature? Absolutely, Mac. You know, um, it's it's just kind of the way uh, everything evolves. You know, I think we have to look at 
the entire team that you see assembled today um, taking care of our um, upper level Division One athletes or any of our athletes for that matter um, first started way back in the day as, as one person that handled all the care for an athlete. And that was your athletic trainer. And um, I remember hearing this one, I put it all together. Actually, it was when uh, one of your esteemed guests, uh, Dr. Rick McGuire used to, um, he and I were talking about this, you know, when the athletic trainer was in control, he was control of, he or she was in control of everything and had the coach's ear from when it came to, to health, to nutrition, to rehabilitation, to psychology, you name it. I mean, it was handled under one house. And as the years kind of moved on, you know, um, that got diluted, as we all know today. I mean, all of a sudden we were hiring strength coaches, you know, then we were hiring, you know, nutritionists. And, you know, whether it's whether you like it or not, the reality of life is that um, there's always going to be pushback when you feel your role in anything gets um somewhat diluted and um unfortunately you know in the world of upper level sports you know, there's a lot of pride a lot of uh, things we hold on to dearly when we get to that level because not many people make it to that level and that's understandable um but in the end of the day um i think we need to all step back and realize you know we got to do what's best for our athletes and it doesn't matter who provides that service what their title is what their what their what how much alphabet soup they have after their name it has to do with can they provide the service the athlete needs and if the answer is yes sure there takes a lot of management there but management needs to be centralized where someone's in control that can control that gate but at the same time um again bring in what's needed and i think uh not a lot of programs have gotten there yet and um, that's 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 difficult making it harder for um systems like that but it's it's slowly changing, probably not in the um, the way it rapidly could if we really um, stepped back out of the box and saw it from that level of what's best for the athlete. But um, nonetheless, it's changing because um, I think uh, there's there's enough information and education out there that um, athletes will find it whether um, we provide it or not. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that, Brett. You know, as a former athlete myself, um, and then being in strength and conditioning for over 20 years, we we uh, have seen the profession grow. And one of the issues that we were trying to address, and this is when Andrew Paul was on staff, he went back to oh, school yeah. um, to get his doctorate in physical therapy. He's now with the uh, director of athletic performance for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And we were just trying to work with our sports medicine department and our physicians and understand the shoulder better. Our, our um, team physicians and orthopedic surgeons would have us in the cadaver lab. We would see behind the, the scenes, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. on how the shoulder worked and operated. So as Andrew was going to school for three years, there was information he was bringing back to us as a strength and conditioning staff that was very interesting and educational for us. And it changed some of the methodology you bet. that we were using as, mm-hmm. as, as a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, can you talk about some of those? And then uh, we were all working together. And then when Andrew went to Oklahoma city, uh, you had a, you had the chance to step in and, and kind of fill that gap, that role. Can you tell people that may 
be strength and conditioning coaches, performance coaches, what the role of a physical therapist can be. You know, you're coming in and you want to do squats and you you're um, the day after a game and but you have someone they have some SI issues. Can you just go into some of those details of why a strength and conditioning coach would want to work with a physical therapist you bet. for the benefit no. of a student athlete? Well, first and foremost, you want to work with a, with a physical therapist because they, they want to work with you. Um, I'm telling you what, in, in the last decade that I've been in the game, 15 years even, I don't think any professions have moved faster forward than in the strength and conditioning sciences and the rehabilitation sciences. And it's been exciting to watch the evolution there. In fact, um, because everything we do on both arenas is about conservative management of an athlete and prevention and strengthening and development. Um, not only do they, do they um, complement each other, but I think, um, at this level, it's crucial that they be together. As a strength coach, you know, you, you are the experts at, at developing, if we just want to get all cellular, you know, muscle tissue, you know, and, and working your differences between your fast twitch and your slow twitch and taking advantage of that and velocity-based training and those types of things. But what screws you up sometimes is your darn athlete can't seem to do what you want them to do. And you are coaching them. You're doing everything right. They, they seem to know what's going on, but yet they, they can't seem to max out. And you're banging your head against the wall. And your first tendency is going to say, well, this athlete, he just, you know, he doesn't, doesn't have the gas factor that give a, give a snot, you know, thing, if you know what I'm saying. And you're thinking he's just not putting it in. And it's interesting. You, you come to a therapist and you'll look at that athlete and go, well, let me take a look at him. And what's interesting when he does his squats, he's, his hips aren't, don't, don't seem to be getting as low as they could be. They're not, he's not weak. He's just not, not mobile. He, he's not able to, to, to get to that depth. And then we get them on the table and we break down their movement. You know, we'll have them stand there. We'll do a lot of data collection on their, on their biomechanical movements. And you may find out that that athlete is not designed to do a squat in a traditional sense. And if we can't adapt him to do the squat correctly, we have to modify the exercise. And yet then they end up making their, their PR. So really a, a strength coach to have that guy in their hip, you know, we, we, I was down at the HPI today and, um, you know, we're really expanding the knowledge base of our strength conditioning coaches. And we actually had someone down there um, speaking on pelvic health and pelvic pain, and she's a postpartum specialist. And um, she was talking a lot about um, what the exercises that should be done for this population and how it ties into the athlete. And she was showing the exercises, but um, we actually were spending more time looking at the mechanics of the exercises and the why, if you're athlete or your client cannot perform that exercise. And it was enlightening to our strength coaches, just like it was when we were in the weight room. You know, they just didn't think of it that way. A lot of times they see it as just terms of effort, but in actuality, it's biomechanics. Do their joints move in the proper function? And a lot of strength coaches just haven't been in the game long enough to evaluate that or even trained to evaluate that. But that's changing. And we're working so much closer together. My hope is in 10 years, the line between rehabilitation specialists and strength and conditioning specialists is so blurry that it doesn't even matter what our titles are. And we just get things done. And so being, you know, those blurred lines, things like that, how would you 
in your ideal situation, how would you see that moving forward? So for example, let's say you were going into a situation where you, as the physical therapist, are establishing the relationship with the strength coach. How would you picture that beginning? Like what's step one to building that relationship to working together for the betterment of the athlete? Well, the first one is um, we got to remove the red tape, Mac, like we were just talking about. You know, there's there's got to be um, a desire to, to get better on all counts. You know, the strength coach has mm-hmm. got to see that they're, they're not seeing everything there is to see with this athlete and vice versa. It also takes a mutual respect from the therapeutic clinician to understand that that they don't know everything about strength and development. And trust me, they don't. Don't let any of them fool you. Um, there's still some therapists <laughs> out there that are still, uh, for their doctorate of physical therapy, still working in that three sets of 10 kind of rep mode. And, you know, they're just doing that from a rehab sense. And they're not really understanding, you know, what it means to, to change your training practices. Um, so when that happens, then we're ready to get to work. And, and that's when we start sitting down, like, like we used to do Mac and coach um, and have these education sessions where we brought everyone together and really started talking about, in essence, your wheelhouses. You know, how do you see this athlete progressing? What's the barriers here? And then you bring in the whole team to bring in their two cents. And, and that's when you get a, a really a true um, sense of what happens. And I think it takes a lot of shelving of egos, you know, a lot of understanding how each other operates from that standpoint. But understanding the most important thing is that none of us, and I mean none of us, know everything. And we got to rely on each other um, in, in interdisciplinary measures to really create that base for our athletes. And and I, I hope we can get the red tape passed someday soon, Mac. I mean, that was, that was just a great question, and to use the term that way, because we mm-hmm. we are still so stuck in that. And it's just, uh, it's it's... It's not helping our athletes be their best. It's just that simple. And frankly, it's putting them at risk and and we can do better. We can do better. This podcast is sponsored by Sorenex Exercise Equipment. Since 1980, Sorenex has been a family owned business responsible for legendary innovations and training solutions that have changed the face of strength training. Today, Sorenex is the most sought after strength brand for professional teams, colleges, high schools, and military units. During this process of growth, our clients have become an extended family to us, part of our brotherhood, our culture. We want to thank you, our customers, friends, and family for being the foundation on which Sorenex is built. We promise to do our best to continue to serve you with the best strength training equipment and service in the industry. Right. Brett, what about people that may have limited resources so i don't know maybe some high schools maybe some smaller uh, colleges and universities how what advice can you give them as far as using physical therapy corrective biomechanics um bridging that gap so to speak um all it takes uh, straight up all it takes is a reach out um hopefully your town is, is um is equipped with their, your local physical therapist. Now you, you got to shop a little bit if you have more than one. Um, and sometimes a simple interview or discussion is all you need. But I tell you what, these physical therapists, I guarantee you, um, want to be part of your school. Um, physical therapy, for one, um, in most states, is, is a relatively lucrative practice. 
and it's well enough to where they can't afford hate fact i'm calling them out on this right because now they're gonna have to do it for free but they can afford to go to these your local high school <laughs> and and actually um donate some time and and resources to that um, because when injuries happen they're gonna know that you're gonna rely on them to help rehabilitate those things and that's where they'll make it up on the back end but on the front end um there's not too many i love to say we're all cut from the same cloth uh coach, but they're not. Um, there's a lot of physical therapists that even this whole idea of rehabilitation for performance is is a little bit foreign because they are still caught in the wait till someone gets hurt before they do anything. But our entire edict of practice has always been prevention, prevention, prevention. So this is their chance to deliver on that. I don't think you're going to find a physical therapist that would ever turn it down. The thing is, do you find a good one? And and that's the question that you have to ask from your standpoint, from your knowledge base, without getting too scientific, does it feel right? Um, working with an athlete isn't just about clinical proficiency. It's understanding the things that will Doc, that your your show focuses so much on is that that mental edge and that mental intensity and that mental um, strength and um, you know, some therapists don't have that and they're a little overprotective when they need to be aggressive. So you got to find the right mix that fits the culture of your team. But if you find all that, it's all there and it'll work. You kind of led into the next question I want to ask. What advice do you have for physical therapists that want to become more involved in athletics? Ooh, man, that's a little trickier, believe it or not, because most physical therapists want to. But the door through the school is um, really in about three locations. It's the athletic director, the team physician, and probably the biggest is the team athletic trainer. Um, If the athletic trainer and the therapist have a relationship, that pretty much will, will work it through. And if you're a physical therapist trying to get that relationship, man, you better be very, very cool character. If you go in strutting your degree and what you know and what you think you know, you're probably going to um, hit a brick wall. You got to go in with a lot of humility. You got to go in and understand your audience and that you're not going in there to be the man or the woman. You're going in there to assist the those powers that be the AD, the athletic trainer and the team physician to meet the goals of their athletes. And if you do that right, things will happen for you. But if you go in there trying to straight your stuff, you might as well forget about it. Stay in the clinic. How do you play with the amount of time that is demanded of athletes? So I know, well, I'm assuming in a clinical setting, you know, patients set up, let's say an hour appointment, you know, two to three times a week for an athlete, they would love to have an extra three hours in their week to <laughs> go do some rehab. Yeah. <laughs> so how... How do you, with, you know, the NCAA regulations, with just, you know, class, practice, study hall, schedules, everything, plus let's remember athletes have to sleep. Um, (laughs) How do you, how do you, I guess, coach other physical therapists or I guess what methods have you done to get maximum impact in the least amount of time? Well, clearly at first, Mac, I didn't do it very well. You know, uh, I, uh, I, I wasn't even ready for that demand when I stepped into the game. And, um, to be honest with you, um, if you love it and you're passionate about it and you know what these kids need, you're going to work around what needs to be done. It's just that simple. 
you know, um, and that's not easy for a lot of clinicians. It wasn't easy for me because that was in essence my my second job. You know, my day job was running a hospital rehabilitation system. Um, second one was was taking care of our athletes. Uh, frankly, I was more passionate about the athletes at the time. And um, I mean, it was a, it was a wild life. Gosh, you know, I mean, you guys had me in there at five a.m. some mornings, you know, cracking up things, and then. I'd be there that until early. that wasn't that early. That I know, wasn't well, that well, you let me to cut, you let me come in on the late shift. That's why I was really appreciated of that. Cause then, you know, we'd be there till what, like nine or 10 o'clock when all the boys went to class. And then, then I had my day job, you know, so I had about, Oh yeah, let's run a hospital. And then, and then, uh, Oh wait, I gotta go back down there at six. Oh, okay. Sounds great. And you know, you just did what, what the, the players needed. You just do it. Um, and um, you try to, for lack of a better term, um, it, it, it's if you're committed to that, um, you understand you're committed to the team's success and you know the team's success is surrounded by that athlete's success. So you're going to do whatever it takes to get that that kid taken care of. And that means you, you've got to work your schedule, work around their schedule to make that happen. That's not something mm-hmm. that you're you're egotist clinicians very good at you got to shelve that park it and move on and start um doing what the kids need and um i found that pretty easy for me to be honest um because i was passionate about it i enjoyed it and um that's another thing you want to rewind the tape and talk about what are you looking for in a physical therapist that does this kind of job man he's got to be passionate and he's got to be a fan. I don't care what anybody says, man. You got to be a fan and be passionate about the success of that team. And they're in the right game. I hear you laughing, coach. You know what I'm talking about. I know. I, let, let me ask you a question. I want to. I want you to go into detail. I want you to break it down. An athlete comes to you and they say, my hips feel off. We have squats today. Break down exactly in the smallest detail. Ooh. What do you do? Yes. I want you to go there, Brett. Okay. Let's let's go. go I want you to go nerdy on me. All on right. everybody. We're gonna nerd out everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> yeah, turn go. in, listen carefully. Because we are gonna nerd, nerd out. Activate. Okay. Super nerd, nerd mode. Activate. Go. So he'll show up to me. And now first off, I'm impressed if an athlete says my hips feel off because, you know, they usually don't know that their hips feel off. They just know they aren't performing right. Um, and what I tell right away is I say, well, my hips feel off. I go, okay. Did you first, you ask the obvious questions. And it's a stupid question for a football player. Did you get knocked on your butt recently? This and that and the other thing, you know, answer is almost always yes. So, Immediately, clinically, I start thinking, and this is more of my 25 years speaking, I go, well, this guy, he's got an anterior posterior nominate of his left or right um, ilium. And that's how it translates across the sacrum bilaterally. Is that geeky enough for you? All right, I'm going to stay on it. I'm going to keep going. So while that will manifest itself, there goes another polysyllabic word. I got to do that. In In a leg length discrepancy. All right. Now, it sounds like it's very, very subtle and it is very subtle. Matter of fact, so subtle that this is where the red tape kicks in, Mac, is because we get a lot of physicians and athletic trainers and those that don't spend all their day staring at this stuff, um, getting them to buy into it. They may even see it in an X-ray image and go, well, well uh, nobody's perfect. That symphysis pubis is only a, a millimeter or two off. Well, this is a game of millimeters, man. This is a game of inches, millimeters, and, and fractions of millimeters, nanometers, if you will. If that SI joint, sacroiliac joint, has a translational effect on the ilium, 
either it's rotating forward or rotating posteriorly, that will change the entire mechanic of that athlete's stride and squat. And so what will happen if they go really deep, they can acutely feel that one leg is not going down as far as the other one. We can't even see it visually. And a lot of people can't. I can because I stare at these things all the day and it drives me crazy that I that's I can't help it. I see people walking around. I can tell when they're jacked up because you just go, wow. Oh, look at that there. You know, he's over rotating. He's probably got an interior nominate there. Oh, shooting his hips externally rotated. So probably his piriformis has shrunk on that same side. But she's mm. got some sciatic nerve entrapment. And then, you, you know, you start oh, yeah. going down his path. And the next thing you know, I walk up and say, hey, Coach Ivy, you look kind of jacked up. And sure enough. That's some terms. That's, that's my translation. Everything I just said there, guys, that, that's just you jacked up. That's all you have right. to say. So I get yeah. the athlete on the table, <laughs> right? I put him on the table and I was like, oh, yeah. You know, and that this is where you don't talk. You, mm, uh, mm. And athletes are great, right? Because they're going to go, what? what? What's wrong? What's wrong? Of course, I, I let them string along a little bit because I'm like that. So it's like, I don't know, man. This doesn't look good. This doesn't look good. You know, and then they freak out and they said, never mind, I got this. So what you will see <laughs> when you look at these guys is, is it's pretty simple. You'll 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 do a thing we call clearing the spine or you have them just do a bridge, for instance. When they clear the spine, when they lift their butt up off the ground, generally, when they lower that butt down, they are going to equalize their spine. The spine's going to get straight because you can look at somebody's leg length, for instance, which we are in this case, and they may be laying all goofy and cranky on the table so you don't know what you're looking at but when they do a straight up bridge you can actually clear their spine out of it and when they drop their butt down then you know everything from the that the hip up to the spine and down is generally speaking straight not perfectly but generally speaking and so then i have them straighten their legs out and all i got to look at is the comparison between their bilateral medial malleoli which are their ankle bones and i measure those up with my thumbs you know, sounds pretty hard, high tech scientific, doesn't it? But let me tell you, I, I trust my eyes these days, even though I can't read anything, but because right now my eyes are killing me. With, I don't know what's going on. But when I measure the, the malleoli length, I can tell a difference of even a half an inch is going to be something that on a, on a, on a elite athlete is really going to grossly affect their performance level. They won't be able to squat as deep. Ergo, they're not going to be able to max on their squat. And with that same change in that length between the ilia, when they run, one hamstring is getting overly stretched compared to the other one. So a lot of guys you see blowing hammies out there are not just breaking down because of overstress or this and that. They have a malalignment issue that no one's addressing. And um, it's really hard in that world because when I get there, I want to check everybody on that team. Again, going back to you, Mac, that's difficult. I mean, especially when you're no team can afford a staff of a dozen therapists to check every athlete, which we could. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say that. D1, they can afford it. They choose not to pay it, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> but in a lot of these cases, we just want to go down and make it part of their, their physical. And it has to be a, a constant check. That's what we would spend Sunday recovery doing. You know, the guys I knew that were at risk. You know, I'd get them on the table. Let me look at you. Even I feel good, Brett. No, you don't. Lay down. Let me look. And I would just check them out. See, you're off. Let's correct this right now before you go and anything that's becoming an owie becomes something significant. And so just going at that, um, yeah, that owie, that's about as low tech as I can go um, there, you know. <laughs> so your nociceptors are not overly hypersensitive to your neuromuscular system. How is that? Is that better than owie? Yep. There you go. Okay. What there about permatizing and permatize real quick? What's permatizing? I have no clue what you're talking about. Permatizing. Oh, you, oh, you just, you told me that's when you do certain exercises to maintain the 
correction that you just made. Oh, well, you know, you made I that word you. up. Did I make I that word say, up? That sounds like a made yeah, up word. You on made the that spot. word up. Now you forgot. Yeah, well, you know that happens quite. I mean, frequently. it sounds guys, real though. Well, you know, I do. I, I'm I'm a pro at that. You'd be. So, I I wish I could remember. I, I make up stupid words, right? Like if someone's too tight, I will be. <laughs> I will detitificate you. You know, let's detitificate your hamstring. <laughs> And it says, is that really a word? I go, damn right, it's a word. I'm a professional. Just listen to me and use that word in a sentence. Detitificate. So there you go. I made up another one. Of course, Coach, you just called me out. Now I'm going to forget that one again when you we say edit it out. We'll edit that out. Edit that yeah. out because I, I don't know. But it, <laughs> hey, don't edit it out. It might show up in Webster's Dictionary tonight and we'll be good. So at least in Urban Dictionary, it might show up. <laughs> Detitificate. Um so, Brett, I do have one last question for you. Actually, you touched on it a little bit in the beginning where you said, you know, if people don't have access to a physical therapist or, you know, someone, basically a resource that they will be able to find it online or elsewhere. Yes. Um, do you have, I don't want to, you know, put you on the spot to make sure that you call out like your, you know, top five sponsored things. Um by the way, people, this is not an all-inclusive list, but Brett, do you have, let's say, three to five resources that people can consult if they don't necessarily have the resources for a physical therapist, maybe their school or their you know, university, what have you, isn't necessarily at this point yet? Right. What um, can they consult to at least, you know, kind of look out for themselves? That's a good question, Matt, because I, I consider myself a student of everything. And there's a lot of people who get very, very focused in what they mm-hmm. think they, they, they pattern their guru into certain certain methods and certain things. And so as many people as I want you to go read, there's just as many on that same list I don't want you to read because there's so much conflicting True. information. And so it gets I'm glad me. you didn't say WebMD. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Go to WebMD. They'll tell you a little bit about syphilis, diarrhea, gonorrhea, and then you're set. And it's going to help you with performance, though. Um, you know, I, hey, I'm Brett, a, yeah. I got an idea. How about this? How about we leave everyone hanging right there? And then you put your list uh, in an article and then we get it out to everyone. Oh, there we go. That means I'll be a, about that? a three-time about contributor, that? won't I? There you go. Oh, man, I, my cred just <laughs> went up. You know, I don't have let's all wrap. that. I like that. Yeah. That's good. I'll let's, do that. Let's wrap this one up. Where where can people find you in the meantime? You know, find me straight through the university. Um, easiest way to get a hold of me is through my email. And that's Hayes BR. So that's H A Y E S B R at health dot Missouri dot edu. That's the easiest way to find me. Um, I love fielding questions like this, giving advice. Um, and I actually, um, hey, if you're in the neighborhood and uh, you really want to see what's going on, you let me know and we'll schedule you up a tour of the facility. Um, give you a little baseline knowledge on what I think is good to be thinking about and keeping your eye on and we'll get you set up. I I got a a real pilgrimage to get this message out because I think it's a a, um, relatively new, but a fast advancing service line. And actually it's going to bring strength and conditioning and, and rehab together even more so than it already is. I mean, that's the sexy part of all this is because, you know, our strength conditioning coaches, I like to refer to as the new ancillary service. And for those who don't know what that means, you know, you look at 
physical therapists, nurses, radiologists, all those are all support systems for healthcare. And um, strength and conditioning is going to be the new one. If you look forward and you look at the science that these guys have turned out and, and the, like, like some of our best scientists, right. like, I'm yeah. going to cut you off right there. I'm cutting you off right there. That's for the next podcast. Next podcast. Well, you just, <laughs> hey, you're just doing dang all here. kinds of Karens to we're, the audience. We're, That's not we right. are out of here. Why I want you to have a up? great night. Nope, everyone. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Over. All right, so everybody later. pay attention. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much. Hey, my pleasure. <laughs> I was happy to be here. And let's just, uh, can we just shoot the next cast right now while we're on this? You know, we no, just cut no, and start. No, no, no. I can go pour a glass of bourbon. We'd be on. Let's just do this. Good night, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Hey, bet, man. It's great talking to you guys. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Soranex Exercise Equipment. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can find show notes and more at beyondsetsandreps.com. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D-S-E-T-S-A-N-D. R-E-P-S dot com.